right, how are we doing, guys? Everybody good? Yeah? It, it feels a little like we're, uh, we're lagging today. Am I, is it, I don't know what it is today. I don't know if it's cold weather. I don't know if it's Georgia loss. I don't know what's happening. I feel you because my team's terrible. So I, I'm just, I'm with you. We're in the pain together. It's all good. A uh, couple real quick announcements. Today, uh, kids coming. Yeah, they're already doing it. Kids and, uh, and the ushers are going to come forward and, and take our offering today. It's a way for us to give back to the community, for us to continue to fund the mission that we're doing here in Grace Marietta. Um, a couple of quick announcements. Today, uh, after church, immediately following the service, we're going to go gather in our student space, and we're going to do the table. Uh, and the table is just an opportunity for us us each week or each month to kind of gather together as a church family to get to know some folks that we don't know really well. It's a kind of a way for us to move from rows to circles, if that makes any sense. Uh, and so we've had a great time every time we've done this. We're going to do it again today. Uh, if you brought some food, I noticed there's some casseroles and things already over there. It was smelling pretty good over there already. Uh, but if you did not bring some food, do what I'm going to do, which is like run as quickly as possible to somewhere unhealthy and grab something for your children and yourself, uh, maybe buy a little extra taco for someone else or something, uh, and be generous with your tacos. I don't know. Uh, but gather together, and we're going to hang out. Uh, I know the Falcons game starts at 4 today or 3.30. It's the later game, but we're going to figure out whatever football game's on TV. We'll put that on the TVs over there. We'll hang out. We'll let the kids run around. Um, I found that this is a really great time to, for some people to start getting connected. And so if you're feeling like you're new here, want to meet some new folks, uh, I'd encourage you to hang out with us, grab some food. Uh, I would also encourage you just to sit with some folks that you don't know, spread out and, and meet some new folks uh, as, as we're journeying together. Uh, December 1st through the 3rd, uh, we're super excited. Our student ministry uh, is going to be going to Fallout Camp. Uh, now, I don't know what Fallout Camp means. Um, it sounds a little disturbing, but it's, uh, it, it's, I think it's fall, right? And they're going out. I don't know. Uh, but they're gathering together with all the other Grace campuses and all the student ministries from all the other Grace churches. So if you're new to us, we're a part of a family of churches. There are seven different Grace churches, and we're all gathering together for this ministry. So we're really excited. My boys are fired up to go and can't wait to be a part of that. Uh, you can register online for that. Or just see Pastor Mike over in the student area if you want to register your kids for that. That's anybody that is in, is it sixth grade and up, I'm thinking? Sixth grade and up, yeah. Sixth grade to, to seniors in high school is, is who that's for. So we're super excited about that. There's awesome things going on in our student ministry. So today, we're going to be continuing in our series called The Space Between. And what we've been walking through is the Songs of Ascent. So in the back end of the Psalms, and, and I think the Psalms are just such a perfect um, picture for us. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to interact with God. They teach us this kind of brutal honesty of our relationship with the Father, and they teach us that we can handle anything. So if you've got your Bibles, today we're in Psalms 129. If you don't have your Bibles, put your hand up. We'll, we'll, we'll put a Bible in your hands. We've got a Bible uh, table in the back now. The cart is gone. We've got a table. We're moving up. It's high tech. Uh, and we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. You can keep those if you want to keep those uh, afterwards. But Psalms 129 is where we're going to be today. And, and, and we're looking at this kind of what happens to us when we live in the space between. 
So there, there are times in our relationship with the Father where it feels like we're on the mountaintop, right? Where it feels like everything good is happening, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, everything's going right, like it just feels like your team is winning, your kids are happy, you feel well fed every day, you're excited, you're happy about life, you're fired up to go to work on Monday morning, and everything just feels like it's the mountaintop. Those are, it's a good place to be, Right? And then there's this kind of season where it feels like you're in the valley, where uh, you're, you're driving down the street and your tire just blows. That happened to me this week. Uh, where it feels like everything is going wrong, where it feels like work is frustrating. It's hard to get up in the mornings for work. It's, it's every, your kids are just getting on your nerves constantly, where it just feels like it's just frustrating and, and it feels like nothing's going right. Have you ever had one of those weeks where it just feels like Everything, one thing after another, after another, after another keeps going wrong. And you're just kind of like, Lord, why? Like, how long, oh Lord, will I wait? And and so what we want to talk about is how do we live in the space between those two spaces? Because what we see happening is there are some people who just chase the mountaintop. So all they're looking for is I've got to find my next spiritual high, right? I've got to find that next worship night that I can be a part of. I've got to find that next fallout camp that I can go to. I've got to, I've got to get that next sermon. And it's like, it's like that mountaintop of that spiritual experience, that emotional experience is like a drug. And we've got to have more of that because we've got to get out of the valley. And there's some of us that have kind of learned to operate in the space between. And my premise, I really believe this. I believe that life is all about living in between. I just, I just don't think there's a lot of destinations and arrivals in our life. Most of our life, it's, it's interesting when we read scripture, we see kind of the highlight reel of, of, of all these people's lives in scripture, all the heroes of our faith. And as you look at the, their, their lives, you see that there's like five, six, seven moments that really matter. So if we're going to live for a long time and we're going to have just these few moments that really matter, it feels like much of our life is lived in the space between. And it seems like learning to navigate that space between is incredibly, incredibly important to us. So Dave and Kristen did an amazing job the last two weeks. I'm so excited that they got to be here. Um, But we're going to jump in today in Psalms 129. And here's what I'm learning. The older I get the more I've learned to appreciate different things. I think when you're young, you, you appreciate uh, style over substance. Are you with me? Uh, like you, you just kind of, if something's flashy, if something is exciting, if something gets its 10 seconds of fame, you're excited about it, you're fired up about it. You, 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 my, my son's favorite team changes every month, like in sports. Um, luckily, he's stuck with the Buckeyes, which is, which is long-suffering, uh, but, but, we're, but, but, but he's, he, he changed his, his new favorite team's the Lakers because he likes Lonzo Ball, who's not even good and hasn't even proved that he's good yet, but it's his favorite player now, and, and you know, like, you just, cha- like you, you, just, you, you just start loving style over substance. The older I get, the more I appreciate substance, right? The more I appreciate, like, faithfulness, the more I appreciate trustworthiness, the more I appreciate people who just show up every week, who just serve faithfully. Because it's easy for us to have like our one moment of fame, like our one moment where I'm like, I'm like Mother Teresa, cape flowing in the wind, doing everything right, loving everybody perfectly, and I was like so much like Jesus today. But it's much harder for us to have long obedience in the same direction. 
There's a stick-to-itiveness that matters in our faith. There's this idea of perseverance, that the faithful people of God are those who week after week just put one foot after the other and just keep taking one step closer to the kingdom. I don't need to arrive today. I don't need to have it all figured out today. I don't need to solve the mystery of God in the next seven days between now and Thanksgiving, but I want to put one step, one, one foot after the other, and I want to go one step closer to the kingdom every single day of my life. And, and the older I get, the more I recognize that there's so much power in this. There is power in perseverance. I got roped into coaching my son's basketball team. So I, I was so committed. I'm so busy with everything that's going on in the church. Sarah and I talked when the season started. I've always coached basketball. I was a high school basketball coach before I became a pastor. And I love the game of basketball. And I love coaching. I love being with the boys. There's so many ministry opportunities throughout a season. You've got boys that are fighting. You've got boys that are crying. You've got, boys, like you've got everything. Boys that are jerks. Like everything going on is all happening within a team. Teams are amazing, right? Like there's so much to learn about life by being a part of a team. And so I love sports and I love basketball. But when the season started, I said to Sarah, we're, you know, we've only been here four or five months. Everything at the church is really busy. I'm, I'm, I'm refusing. I'm going to have a disciplined refusal to coach this team. And then I went to the game and watched what was happening with the coach. And I was like, okay, I'm coaching now. Uh, his, the coach quit. Uh, about three games into the season, uh, and I probably would have quit too if I had his coaching ability. Um, and, and so I stepped in, and, and I've been coaching. Now, yesterday we had a tournament, and uh, we were playing, and, and, and then the team, Caden's playing on a really good team. So there's three or four players that are, I, I, I believe, some of the best seventh grade basketball players in the area. Like, they are really, really good. But we've got three or four players on the back of our bench who I think are probably the worst basketball players I've ever seen in my life. Um, hopefully none of them are watching this. Uh, they've got a game coming up, so I think they're all getting prepped for that. Um, but, but I'm telling you, there are three or four players who, when the ball is in their hands, I can promise you they're going to hand it to the other team one way or the other. Right? <laughs> it, it, they might as well just... Just go like this, because that's pretty much what they're doing with the ball. There's a turnover is going to happen every time they get the ball. But here's, what's, here's what, what's crazy. When I watched the game, and when those boys get in the game, I got really mad at a moment in the game yesterday, and we were winning the game by like 25 points, and it wasn't because we were losing. It wasn't because something was going wrong. It was because one of those little boys got so close to making a shot. That was the most frustrating thing in my coaching time yesterday was one of those little boys who had been trying and trying and trying and working hard day after day, put up a shot, and the whole bench stood up like he's going to score his first points of the year, and it went in and out. And I was like, oh, come on. Right? I was so fired up because there's something about when the little guy makes the shot, right? There's something about perseverance. There's something about this kid who is not good and is never going to be good at basketball. I promise you, like, this is their last year playing basketball ever. I promise you. It's probably their last year playing sports, ever. Like, they need to just get an accounting degree, get on the computer, start learning technology. Uh, I, but, but when that kid makes a shot, one of those boys made a shot yesterday, and it was the happiest moment for the whole team of the whole day. 
Just this giant grin on his face. And the parents are all screaming and yelling. And it's like a miracle happened. I'm telling you, it really was. Like the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit lifted that ball into the basket because there's no way this kid can make it on his own. There is something amazing about that. There's something incredible. I don't know if you guys, uh, it, I, there's something amazing about the fighter who keeps getting beat up, but keeps getting up off the canvas. He keeps taking shots, but for some reason, you're like, stay down, dude. Like, you're done. Uh, but he keeps getting up. And, and I really believe this. I believe we don't talk about this enough in the church. I believe that we need fighters. I believe that one of the most valuable things that we need in the church right now that our children need to see from us is perseverance. They need to see us get knocked down and get back up again. They need to see us take some shots and say, yeah, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. That's not what I hoped for. We are not in a space right now as a family where we had planned to be, where we hoped to be, where we wanted to be, but it's where we are and we're going to faithfully follow the Father in this space. There's something really, really powerful about that. Uh, a, a woman named Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel. And in, on July 4th, 1951, she attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the California coast. And, and it was a really dangerous swim. Um, the main reason it was so dangerous was because it was so cold. And so the water was freezing. It's this really long swim. And to make matters worse, the fog was terrible that day. And she could not see the coast. And so she swam and swam and swam and swam. But, but eventually she just thought, I don't know where I'm at. I can't see anything. I can't tell where the coast is. And she quit. She said this afterwards. She said, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I only could have seen the land, I might have made it. But not long afterwards, she attempted it again. And again, there was a little bit of a misty veil. It wasn't as foggy as it was before, but she kept swimming. And she had trained herself at this time. Because what you do, sometimes when you're a runner or a swimmer, I don't know if you guys, when I jog, this is what I do. I find a target out in the future, and I look at that sign, and I'm like, I just got to get to that sign. I hate this, I hate life, but I'm just making it to that sign, right? I've just got to make it. And this is how swimmers train. So this is how she had trained herself, is if I just look at the land, and once I see the land, I can get there. So she had to retrain her, herself. She had to retrain her mind that said, even when I can't see the destination, even when I can't see the land in front of me, I'm going to keep going. And guess what? She broke the men's record by two hours on this swim. She was faster than anybody else had swam before. And she said, what I did was I trained my mind that there was a destination ahead of me even when I cannot see it. There are moments in our spiritual journey when we cannot see the destination, where we are so deeply in the desert that it feels like the promised land is miles and miles and miles away. There are times when we don't even have an imagination for what the promised land could look like. There's moments that are so painful, that are so hurtful, that are so dark, that are so evil, that are so frustrating, that are so wounding, that we can't see the land. And the question is, what do we do with those spaces? And Psalms 129 starts to answer this, and it's a beautiful, painful description of discipleship. Verse 1, it says this. It says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. 
Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained victory over me. And in this, what the psalmist is talking about is, is there's a little bit of a personal pain and there's a corporate pain that they're wrestling with. So think about Israel. Think about the journey of God's people. God's people had been enslaved. They'd been tortured. They had been oppressed in, in, in incredible ways. They'd been set free dramatically, right? Moses set my people free, right? They'd been set free dramatically. They created their own nation. That nation went into exile. Suddenly, they're slaves again. Suddenly, they're pulled from their homes again. Suddenly, they're, they're detached from, from the land that they thought they had seen and what they thought was true. And there's this kind of intertestamental period where there's this period between, right? It's this space between. We know a Savior's coming. We know hope is on the horizon, but we don't know when he's coming. We don't know how he's coming. We we don't know when, in which way he's coming, but all we can do is cling to the promises of God. So there's this corporate pain of we have been walking through this pain. I, I think as a country, we, we don't know how to lament anymore. Part of the reason that I think we struggle so much with the ongoing news cycle and all the pain that we see, the next school shooting, the next politician that says something ridiculous, the next, like, all of these different things, the reason we suffer with this so much is because all we want to do is we want to blame and scapegoat and find an answer rather than lament. And so rather than us corporately saying, this is a difficult season for us, this is painful. We don't know all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. Rather than entering into that, we try and blame and we try and scapegoat and we try and find a fall guy in every situation. And I think it's painful for us. I think it hurts. So there's some lament. There's this corporate lamenting here. But I would imagine this isn't just a story for the psalmist of corporate lament. This is also a psalm of personal pain because he was in some of this pain. He may have been pulled from his home himself. He may have been taken from the place that he believed God was dwelling and moving and acting, and he may have been pushed deep into the desert. We don't know the pain that would, had gone on here, but I love the way the message says this. The message says this, they've kicked me around ever since I was young. This is how Israel tells it. They've kicked me around since I was young, but they could never keep me down. I love that. And here's the first thing the Psalms teaches us. The Psalms teaches us about prayer. And the number one lesson we learn in the Psalms is that God meets us in our reality. God doesn't meet us where we should be. He meets us where we are. He doesn't meet us where we hoped we would be. He doesn't meet us where we planned to be. He meets us in reality. And that is an unbelievably good news in that. That God meets us in our pain. He meets us in our woundedness. He meets us in our brokenness. He doesn't love us any more on the mountaintop than he does in the middle of the desert. He doesn't love us any more when everything's going great and everything's going perfect than when everything's going wrong and we feel like we can't get anything right. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from, our, from the love of the Father. We can't do more to gain it. We can't do less to lose it. On our greatest moments, Scripture says our greatest moments are like filthy rags. Like the greatest things that we do are nothing to him because he sees us as his sons and daughters and he receives us as we are and he meets us in reality. And so this is deep, painful, personal truth that is coming out in this psalm. And it's a picture of how we pray. Listen to verse three. This is a brutal, brutal metaphor here. The plowers 
plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The image here is of an oxen set up to plow the fields with the deep metal that grooves inside the sod and turns it up and down. And can you imagine a field that has rows of furrows on it? Rows of sod that has been dug up out of the ground. And the psalmist says, they've done this on my back. There are rows of scars on my back. There is brutal pain that I've experienced from my oppressors. There are scars. There is deep suffering. There is deep pain. I'm hurting. I've been hurt. And I've got the wounds to prove it. It's a brutal metaphor, guys. Like it is raw honesty. Verse 4 says, The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cord of the wicked. The Hebrew word for righteous is the word sadeh. And it means just. It means he is just. And in our pain, when we feel like we have scars and wounds that are piling up, when we feel like the light isn't winning, and we feel like over and over again there's just wound after wound and pain after pain and hurt after hurt, our greatest challenge is that we don't trust that God is just. We don't trust that he's good. And so many of the Psalms, when we read these prayers, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little uncomfortable with them at times. Because some of these prayers seem vindictive. Some of these prayers seem angry. Some of these prayers are resentful. Some of them are frustrated and wounded, and they're all full of this pain. And they ask this question, Lord, how does the wicked get away with this? Like how, this doesn't feel just to me. Have you ever been in that situation where it just doesn't feel just, where you know that you've been wronged? where you long for the truth to come out. I, I, I've been hurt very, very deeply at times. And I have this sense inside of me that I just want justice. I just want, some, I, I just want consequences for somebody. I just want them to feel the weight of what they've done to other people. I want somebody to know that I've been wronged. I want the truth to come out. I, I want all of these things to happen. I, I've, I've been hurt deeply. And in those moments where, where, where I've been betrayed by people who should have protected me, there's moments where I've been deceived by people who should have been honest to me. There's moments where I've been wronged by people that didn't even know me. And in those moments, I've got wounds to show. I've got scars that show unjust things have happened to me. And every single one of us, we could all parade up here and grab that microphone and we could tell the story of all the injustice that's happened in our life. We could tell the story of the brokenness and the wounds and the scars and the hurt and the pain and we could name the people who have wronged us by name. And in our honesty, we ask God questions. In our honesty, we say, God, young people, have you ever asked the, the question like, God, why do, why do all the bad guys get the good girls? <laughs> have you ever asked the question, why, why does the liar get the promotion that I don't get? Have you ever asked the question, why does the abuser get off without any consequences while I have to deal with the pain of his actions? Why does the cheater's business grow when mine shrinks? I've asked this question over and over again of God, and I, I'll be honest, I don't understand it. How does the ministry leader 
with amazing character flaws continue to grow their ministry while mine feels like it's shrinking? These are honest questions we take to the Father. And you know what? Sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, our prayer life is really dishonest. Have you ever tried to be like holy in your prayers and you know you're just conjuring up lies? Like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Teach me to love them. You're lying. <laughs> because what you want to pray is, Lord, get them. <laughs> right? And are you with me, church? Right? What we want to pray is we want to say, Lord, this isn't right. This isn't just. This isn't, this isn't the way it should work. I, 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 how long, oh Lord, do I have to put up with this? How long, oh Lord, is this going to last? And, and if you've ever been wrong, you know those honest prayers. And you know that there's days when you pray and you're just afraid that the light's not winning. Like, uh, there, if, if I, every week I wake up and I see the news cycle repeating over and over again. And I see the same tragedies happening over and over and over again. And it's easy for me to get in a place where I get depressed and I get down and I'm just downcast. And I just go to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, are we ever going to get a win? Like, I was thrilled this week when the adoption tax credit got restored. Like, who are we that we're going to take away adoption money from parents? Like, like, if we can't protect our most vulnerable children, I was so thrilled, and I took it as like, thank you, Lord. Like, there are signs that the light is still winning. There are signs that there is still hope. There are signs that we're still going to care for our most vulnerable children. Like, these things are going to happen, and if you've been wrong, you know those honest prayers. You know what it's like to want to be the judge. And here's the thing about the Psalms. They embrace our uncomfortable prayers. They embrace the fact that there are moments when if we're really going to be honest with God, we need to yell at God. We need to say, where are you? We need to say, why did this happen to me? We need to say, why weren't you there? We need to be real and honest. Our faith is not a faith that checks our minds and our hearts at the door and just says, believe blindly and follow blindly no matter what. It's a faith that is, that is embraced by a father who is good, who loves us, who knows us, and wants for us to come to them. When my kids are hurt and broken and wounded and they feel like somebody's been hit, taking hits at them over and over again, they don't come to me and I don't just say, you're going to be fine, shake it off. And I'm not half the dad that our Father in heaven is. When we go to him in our pain, when we go to him in our brokenness, he meets us there. He meets us in our reality. There have been moments, guys, where I have come to church and I have trouble singing the songs. Anybody with me? There was a season in my life, and I hated it because every single Sunday we would sing these God are good songs. He's never left us songs. He's never abandoned us songs. And I remember one specific Sunday, I was, and I'm the pastor, guys. I was sitting on the front row, and I could not sing those songs. And I just prayed, and I said, Lord, I can't even fake it today. Have you ever been there? Well, the Psalms has good news for us. Because think about how profound this is. The Psalms are actually recordings of people who doubted God's faithfulness, who doubted God's goodness, who didn't know what to do with their pain and their wounds 
and their hurt, but they took them to the Father, trusting that he would meet them in reality. And these recordings actually became the Word of God. How profound is that? Our doubts, our pain, our hurts were so significant. Us learning to go to God with honesty and allow Him to meet us in reality was such a big deal that it's part of our scriptures. Eugene Peterson says this, he says, we don't learn to be like Jesus by swallowing our sense of outrage on one hand or on the other, excusing all of wickedness as neurosis. We do it by offering up our anger to God who trains us in creative love. We offer up our emotions, we offer up our feelings, we offer up our pain, we offer up our scars, we offer up our woundedness, and we say, God, would you meet me here and would you teach me how to live in this space? It's okay to be angry with God when the wicked win, guys. It's just not okay for us to quit and give up. We should be angry when the wicked win. We should be frustrated. And discipleship, guys, it's dangerous business. It's bloody, it's messy, it's painful, it's hard, it's long-suffering. We can't run from our pain. We live in a culture where we avoid pain, we run from pain, and we actually avoid ourselves. I'll prove it to you that we avoid ourselves. When's the last time that you went to the doctor's office and the doctor said to you, uh, it's going to be 10 minutes, and you sat down in the waiting room and you didn't pick up a magazine or reach for your phone? When's the last time where you were sitting at a table at a restaurant and the friend that you're with got up and went to the bathroom and you didn't pick up your phone? We don't even know how to be alone. We don't know how to be bored. We, don't, we're, we avoid, we have numbed ourselves to the world in such a way that we don't know how to be sad, we don't know how to be angry, we don't know how to be frustrated, we don't know how to deal with any of our emotions because we don't take them to the Father and allow Him to redeem them because we won't even name them for ourselves. I've got people who have had like major, major tragedies, father dying, children dying, and I go to them and they say, I say, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm just trying to stay busy. I'm just trying to keep busy. I'm trying to do more stuff at work. I'm trying to do some house projects. No, sit in your pain. Allow the father to meet you there. Allow him to come to you. Allow yourself to name it to the father. I am frustrated, Lord. And allow him to work in that space. Because here's the thing, God is comfortable with our pain. Because he's in it for the long game, not the short game. And discipleship, it takes fighters. It takes fighters. And sometimes obedience, guys, it's not sexy. And it's not pretty. And it's not fun. And it's not beautiful. It looks like me at the end of a jog. <laughs> All right? Here, it's getting colder out. Like on those cold nights, I'm running. There's hills everywhere in our neighborhood, and my nose is red, and there's like snot coming out everywhere, and I, my hair, I don't know what's going on with my hair, but it's just all flat, and I feel like I'm going to die because I just pushed myself a little too hard, and I might throw up at any moment. That's what discipleship looks like, and that's when it gets real. Because if we have a pain-averse culture, this is, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, I've worked with the next generation my whole life. So I spent my whole life working with college students. You know what my greatest concern for them are? 
is that we don't have any fighters anymore. They're soft. The moment that trouble comes, they're done with their faith. Because somehow we've taught them that their faith is always going to be perfect, it's always going to be clean, it's always going to be good, it's always going to be okay, and so the moment life kicks them in the teeth, they have a crisis of belief and they don't know what to do anymore. And so they give up. And they quit. I've got so many young people that I've discipled who when life kicked them in the teeth, they gave up. We've got to train our young people to be fighters, guys. We've got to teach them that the beauty of our faith is that we keep getting up. In this world, we will have trouble. But we trust that the land is there. And we keep going. And we keep moving. And we keep advancing. So perseverance never looks like perfection. It's not pretty. It's, not, it's just putting one foot after the other and learning to get through today. When, when you're counseling somebody who's been through trauma, one of the things that counselors have told me is that one of the things you have to do is you have to help people understand that they can't get through the whole pain in a season. So what we want to do, because of our culture, because of who we are, is when we feel, face trauma, when we face pain, we want to get to the end of our pain as quickly as possible. So we sit down with a counselor and are like, okay, give me three steps to get done with this in the next four days. I will work really hard. I promise you, I'm gonna put my head down. I'm gonna man up. I got this. Let's go. And good counselors, what they've told me is that you start by helping people get through the next hour. And once they're comfortable getting through an hour, you help them get through a day. And once they can get through a day, you help them get through a week. And once they get through a week, you help them get through a month. But our wounds take time to heal. We can't run from it. We can't man up and just push through it. We stick with them. And perseverance is not a result of our determination. It's a result of God's faithfulness. It's not that we stick to it. It's not that we get to the end of our pain and we someday just say, oh, we got it all figured out. It's that we keep pushing. It's that we keep going. Perseverance is trusting that God sticks with us, so we choose to stick with him. So, so I've talked a lot about this. So what do we do in this space, right? I, I want to give us two real simple things that we need to do in the space between. When we feel like life is kicking us in the teeth, when we feel like we're in the desert, when we feel like pain is all around us, when we feel like we're taking L's every step of the day, what do we do? We hold on and we let go. We hold on and we let go. In Acts chapter 27, verse 31, there's this kind of obscure passage that talks about a shipwreck that Paul was a part of. Paul's whole life is a mess, right? He's got that one set of passages where it's like, I took 50 lashes, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been, it's like a Dr. Seuss story of terror, right? It's this awful, awful poetry of all the pain that Paul's been through. But here's, here's one of them, Acts 27, uh, verse 9, it says, And fearing we might run on the rocks and let down the four anchors from the stern, we prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out the anchors in the bow. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So here's what's going on. Waves are crashing against them. They're heading towards the rocks. They're wanting to jump in the lifeboats. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you jump in those lifeboats, it's done. It's over. 
And so it says, then the soldiers cut away the, the ropes of the ship's boat and they let it go. They let go. And sometimes the hardest part of perseverance is letting go. That's the hardest part. Because sometimes God will send us into the desert. He will allow us to enter into the space of the desert because there is something inside of us that we need to let go. There is something inside of us that teaches us that we need to hold on to him instead of the things that we're holding on to. There are moments when we feel like there is nothing else to hold on to, there's nothing else to grab on to. And so intrinsically what we do is we grasp on to whatever debris we can find, right? If your ship has crashed and you're floating in the water, you grab on to whatever you can and you hold on tight because that's your life raft. And the problem is, oftentimes, what we've learned to hold on to is what we absolutely need to let go of. I've had some moments in my life where I've been there, where I felt like everything was lost, where I felt like everything had crashed against the rocks, where my dreams, my imagination, my hopes, my longings, all of these things felt like debris that was floating away. And so we grasp for anything that can hold us. So grab on to community. That's a good thing. Grab on to friends and family who love you and who know you. That's a good thing. Grab on to church. Even if you've got to fake it. Even if it's hard to sing the songs, keep showing up. Because the sacraments and the liturgy and just the idea of I'm going to show up even when it hurts. I'm going to show up even when I'm having a hard time believing. Paul said to God, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Bring your unbelief here. And show up and say, I'm going to keep holding on. So a lot of times what people say is they'll just give you this, this word, keep holding on to Jesus. Which is true, but it's trite. Right? It's true, but it, but it, feels, it feels small and, and it's not terribly helpful. It's true, but, but, but the challenge is sometimes the God we cling to is the God we need to rediscover. The God that got you to that space is not the God that's going to get you through that space. And you need to rediscover who the Father is. And you need to re-understand what he wants to do for you. After the resurrection, there's this crazy thing where Jesus shows up. He shows up to Mary Magdalene, and she wants to hug him. Which seems like that would be cool. Jesus is a hugger, right? I, I, like, I, I picture Jesus as a hugger. And he's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. There's, there's this moment where the, he shows up to the disciples, and the disciples don't know who he is. And it's almost as, as if Jesus is saying to them that the, the me that you have known is not the me that you're going to know from here on forward. You've got to rediscover me. There's something new that I want to give you. The thing that you've held on to, the thing that you've clung to, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something fresh. Perseverance is not clinging to the God you knew. It's holding on to the God you know now. And every wound, every pain, every terrible moment felt like the light was losing. It's a moment for us to hold on and to let go, to experience God in a new way and allow him to move in a fresh way. That verse four says, the Lord is righteous, the Lord is just, and he will cut the cords of the wicked. I don't have to do it, he'll do it. That, that image is actually him cutting the cords of the oxen that is running over your back over and over again. When you've been abused, when you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, when you've been scarred, God says, I will cut the cords, and I may not do it in the time that you want me to. 
I may not do it as quickly as you want it to happen, but I will be the one who will cut the cord of the evil that is driving over your back over and over and over again. And there are moments in today's world where that's hard to believe, guys, corporately and individually. How long, Lord? Like, how long are wicked men going to win? How long are are men going to walk into churches with guns? How long is this going to last? And I'm praying every day that God is the one who cuts the cords. He's the one who tears down the strongholds. He's the one who defeats the evil. And if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen on the other side of eternity. So maybe you've known God as your Savior, and he's calling you into a season where you know him as your deliverer. Maybe you've known him as your rescuer and he wants to do it again. Maybe you've known him as a friend, but he wants to be your redeemer. Maybe you've known him as your protector, but he wants to be your provider. Maybe you've experienced him on the mountaintop, but now you need to meet him in the valley. Maybe you need to meet him in that space between. And the only way you meet him there is when, if you let go and you hold on. Dave Rhodes a few weeks ago talked about the story of Jacob. Jacob, in, in, the, in the story of Scripture, is, his name actually means go-getter. He's the one who figures out how to win. And Jacob is this guy who, through his own wit and will, he just figures every situation out. He's one of those guys that coerces everything so that he wins. He's great at it. He's amazing. He's figured out life this way. Because sometimes the Jacobs of this world do really well. Drives me crazy, but sometimes they do. And he's figured out how to do really well. And he's got this moment. He's about to enter into the land. He's got enemies on either side of him. And he stays at this campfire for a night. And all of a sudden, this wrestling match breaks out. It's a wrestling match in the dark with God. And I know it's weird. Um, but, but perseverance really is this, guys. Perseverance is us wrestling with God. Because in the desert and in the space between, every time I've entered into that space, God wants me to let go of something that I don't want to let go of. And we wrestle. And we fight. And he says, I'm good. I'm shaping you into the image of my son. I'm teaching you to be like me. I know it hurts. I know it's painful. But will you trust that the land is ahead? And so we wrestle. And Jacob, who's good at wrestling, he wins every wrestling match he's a part of, does pretty well. It's midway through the night. It's like like the sixth round of the bout, and the scorecard's even. But what Jacob doesn't realize is it's like me wrestling with my kids when they were little. Or even now, because they're weak, right? But, But, like... When, when my kids were little, I would act like Caden could knock me down, right? I would act like he could get me in a, a lock with my arm and twist my arm behind my back. But at any moment, I could have picked him up and thrown him across the room, right? He weighed 40 pounds, right? Like, like, the, you, this is what we do with our kids. We pretend like they're winning, and we pretend like, oh, they got us, they got us, they got us. And then all of a sudden, like, no, it's over. I'm done. I won. I'm the dad, right? And I don't let my kids win yet. They're going to have to earn their wins, right? And so... This is what it's like. And so all of a sudden, God touches the socket of his hip. And suddenly in that moment, Jacob is in a space where he knows he can't win. 
Frederick Buechner called it the magnificent defeat of the human soul. It's when we wrestle with God and we can't win. Some of you, you're sitting in the middle of the valley, you're sitting in the middle of the desert and you want to win. And I'm telling you, you can't. You won't. You can keep wrestling all your life. We all do. But in that moment, suddenly he can't win the bout. He can't get his way. He can't coerce the situation to his liking. He's got to let go of something. He's got to let go of his life of being a go-getter. That's why he gets renamed, right? He's got to let go of that. And how does he let go? He holds on. He grabs on to the leg of the Father. In Genesis 32, verse 26, it says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. <laughs> I can't earn it. I can't get it for myself. I can't out-wrestle God. I can't win the bout. There's nothing I can do but now beg. And I hold on and I beg. And I say, God, would you bless me? Would you meet me here? Would you show up? Would you do what you always say that you're going to do? My friend Jonathan Martin, his book Prototype, says this. He says, if you're in the midst of a long night of wrestling, there's no strategies or steps I could give you to help you make it to the end faster. But strategy isn't required. Perseverance is. You wouldn't remember the steps if I gave them to you, not when the night gets really dark and long. But please remember this. Don't stop until the sun is up. And remember that the reason for the wrestling is not because God is out to kill you, but it's that he's wanted to bless you all along. And you don't have to do anything to earn the blessing. In fact, there's nothing you can do. You can't be strong enough or powerful enough. You just have to stay in the ring. And when the dawn creeps up, when the wrestling is over, he will take care of the rest. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so I absolutely believe there are people here today who have been wrestling with God, who have been in the desert, who feel like somebody's been plowing over your back over and over and over again. And here's what I want to say to you. Keep going. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be perfect. But keep going. Hold on. And ask God, what is it in this space that you need me to let go of? So we're going to enter into a time of communion. The band's going to come up. And um, today I, I just really felt that this is a good day for us to pray. And so our prayer team is going to be in the back of the room. I'm going to head to the back of the room. And if there's somebody that just wants to say, hey, I'm there, I'm in the desert, and I just need prayer, I just need somebody to stand with me, to pray with me, I just need, to, I just need somebody to lift me up, then we want to pray with you. Um, but as you come to the table today, I want you to come to the table with just this thought in mind. Um, God meets me in reality. And so where is it that I need him to meet me today? And, and what does that look like? So Father, I, I just pray right now that you would move and work and do the things that we can't do. 
but only your spirit can do. So would you prompt our hearts? Would you reveal truth to us? Would you show us your goodness? Would you speak to us? And we just want to say, Father, that we trust you. That there's moments when we feel like we can't see the land. And there's moments where we feel like the night is too long. And there's moments where we feel like the dark is winning. But we want to be a people who persevere. And we want to be a people who keep going. And we want to be a family that urges each other on and calls each other's best out of us and stands with each other in the bad. And so, Father, teach us to love one another in a way that lifts each other. Help us to be bridges for each other. Help us to be ladders that actually lifts each other out of the pit. And so, Father, we pray right now that you would speak loudly and clearly and you would tell us what we need to let go and what we need to hold on to. So, Father, this space is yours to speak. We beg your spirit to work and move. It's in your name we pray. Amen.